Welcome into the NHL at the Rink podcast. Dan Rosen here, Sean Rourke out there. And Sean, we finally have some news to really sink our teeth into here. The return to play plan is out. Gary Bettman and Bill Daly outlined the whole thing Tuesday. We're recording this Wednesday. 24 teams involved. What do you make of this whole thing? All I know is I woke up this morning, Wednesday morning, the sun was shining. Had a little bounce in my step, ready for some hockey, even though you gotta it's, wait. Still on, it's still <laughs> on the horizon. But at least, even without set dates, which weren't done yesterday, there there's a long-term plan. You can envision hockey, maybe the middle of July, if everything goes well, maybe a little bit later. But now, just like the players, there's there's an ability to ramp yourself up, to get ready, right? Even as writers, we have to ramp ourselves Absolutely. up. Absolutely, yeah. Maybe, you know, exercise our brains a little bit more, whatever it might be. So, uh, super excited. And, look, I thought the presentation yesterday for what it was and how it had to be done was great. And, and I, you know, you get a sense on social media and just talking with people that you know that there's a, a a newfound enthusiasm for what's going to happen in the next couple of months. Yeah, absolutely. And there's an I have an enthusiasm for this podcast. We have Steve Mayer on from the NHL who's very heavily involved in the production aspect of of everything that goes on with the National Hockey League. So he's going to be joining us in a couple of minutes here to talk about what's to come, hopefully what's to come, because nothing is set in stone yet. And our colleague Nick Katsunika, columnist for NHL.com, will also be jumping on with us as well to go over some of the return-to-play plans and the logistics involved. But as I said at the top, 24 teams, so the top four in the East, Boston, Tampa Bay, Philadelphia, and Washington, they'll play in a round robin. They'll play three games to determine the – seeds one through four then you have the next eight the matchups are set let's stick with the east first sean pittsburgh montreal the rangers carolina toronto columbus the islanders in florida so those are the matchups there then you got the west st louis colorado vegas and dallas and around robin edmonton and chicago nashville and arizona vancouver minnesota and calgary and winnipeg a lot to sink your teeth into there but like you were saying there's an excitement level now, and you can start preparing yourself for matchups. You can start preparing yourself for the return to play because we have the format in. We don't know where they're going to be yet, though, and I think that's key, and we don't know the dates officially yet, and that's important. So still lots of questions to be answered as well. For sure. Look, we need to know what the two – it's going to be two hub cities is what they laid out. There's ten finalists that are still in contention, uh, a lot out in the West. I think Pittsburgh and Columbus are the only ones in the East. But uh, it's not really going to matter, you know, where they're played because it's going to be at least at the start without fans and there's going to be no home home ice advantage. But, you know, you look at some of those playoff matchups and you get excited. And, and you know, again, like our first guest is Steve Mayer and, and you know, he's kind of the creative force behind what's going to happen with this creative force behind what everything that's happened in the league the last couple of years. And, you know, I'm excited to see what he's going to do. The last two times I remember seeing Steve, you were with me was once in Dallas when rain washed away the whole ice surface in, in uh, right before the winter classic, not a problem fixed off. They went the next time he was sneaking a jet airplane onto the field at air force Academy, <laughs> cleared the tunnel by half an inch. So, um, you know, challenges are his middle name, and it's going to be exciting to talk to him and see where we're at uh, with with what's going to happen in the re return to play protocol here. We have an idea on some dates, but we're not quite sure. So in June, which would be phase two, and that's how we're talking these days, and 
phases. Phase two, small groups opening, small group practices, small group, uh, uh, you know, the training centers opening for small groups. Then maybe in mid-July training camp and late July, early August, we may be getting to some games. And there's also the testing aspect too. I mean, there's a lot here. There's a lot to unpack here. And there's a testing aspect. And one of the, I, I mean, Gary Bettman said there's a potential for 25,000 to 30,000 tests being done uh, for this and at the cost of tens of millions of dollars to the teams, to the owners, to the league. So this is an expensive proposition for them to come back and play, but that shows you the, the, the willingness to pay this to get this back up and running is, is significant because, you know, that's a lot of money to lay out uh, just to get this thing go back and going again. With no money coming in, but I think, you know, this leads perfectly into our second guest, who's going to be Nick Konstanika, our colleague, and his column on Tuesday about the uh, – return to play was, you know, safety and integrity are going to be the buzzwords as we do this. And I think that's definitely the case, but I want to backtrack a minute. You know, you talked a little bit about the, that first round after the play-ins and, you know, whether it's best of five or best of seven. And that's one of the questions. The bigger question to me is, is it bracketed or is it reseeded? Mm -hmm. That's, that's a huge difference, right? Like, as you draw into the playoffs, are you getting – if you're the Boston Bruins and you hold on to that one seat, are you getting the worst team left in the playoffs? Or are you getting the team you were scheduled to play anyways, which, you know, could be Pittsburgh versus Montreal. Whoever wins that, if Pittsburgh wins, you're playing the five. But if an 11 seed wins – somebody who's the number three seed plays the 11. So they're still trying to figure out the seeded versus the, the bracketed uh, format, which I think for the players is huge as well. Uh, I, it is huge. And uh, look, I understand the bracketed format um, gives a level of certainty, right? I mean, it, it uh, creates that even playing field as soon as you start, but Seating, reseeding to me makes sense because you, at some point you've got to give the the teams that earn that t- those top seeds you've got to give them some type of an advantage, and I, I like the reseeding aspect over the bracketed aspect. And I mean, look, I mean, you, you have the Boston Bruins who are, who are going to win the President's Trophy, and they are still fighting to get the number one seed, right? So they're not getting an advantage there. So they, there has to be some advantage given to those teams as well. So I, I, I am for the reseeding, but I understand that, you know, it, it adds a level of uncertainty uh, and it just creates a little bit more fluidity within the system. Well, I think that just to be clear, I think the Bruins do have an advantage um, as the number one seed. I think that they would have to lose out in, in this round robin to to lose that seed. I, I think, you know, the regular season is going to carry over. That four seed would have to win everything to, mm-hmm. to kind of move up. So there is an advantage there. But, you know, you're, you're opening it up to 24 teams, and, and some of those teams wouldn't have made the playoffs in a, a regular thing. So I think everybody suffers, uh, if that's the right word, or, or has a little bit of their advantage taken away to make this tournament work as a one-off so I don't think that's a huge issue but I do think as you look forward and you you think about how you're going to play this out you know I know the players want very much to have more of a a reseeded tournament um, for the reasons that you just spoke about and it's certainly on the table that's what Gary said yesterday but to me that was you know as you become a hockey as you get back into your hockey nerddom and you're not looking 
big picture, you're looking, you know, oh my God, you know, the Penguins are playing the Canadians. Here's the matchups, blah, blah, blah. And if they win, here's what happens. When you get back down to that nitty gritty, like that's where we all live. And that's where those are the barroom arguments we love to have. So um, to be able to have those, which we're going to do a little later in the podcast is, is very welcome news. Let's get to our first guest, Steve Mayer. Uh, You know, obviously heavily involved in everything. He's the senior executive vice president and chief content officer for events and entertainment and programming for the National Hockey League. And we were able to catch up with Steve and talk about this return to play format and things that are in ruminating going through his mind right now about what uh, the potential is here that exists. So here's that interview with Steve Mayer. Steve, thanks so much for jumping on with us. Obviously, yesterday, Wednesday, uh, today's Wednesday, Tuesday was a big day. And getting the announcement out there, the NHL's return to play plan is now in place. It's public. Why was that so important? Why is that such an essential part of this entire process, this undertaking, this challenge that you all are, are, are involved in right now? Well, listen, I think that Gary Bettman said numerous times yesterday um, the, and used the word hopeful and, and optimistic, and we all are. Um, you know, what we did with the return to play announcement was, you know, put out there our plan. And, and I do think there was a lot of information that was already out and not all of it was accurate. And yesterday we, we, we had the ability to put information in front of our fans that was to the minute uh, where we stand uh, there's obviously so much work still to do, but I, I think it also it level sets um, ownership, management with all the teams, the people and the places that we're talking to to potentially be the hubs um, and our fans. And, and it gives everybody this realistic up to the minute update. And I think after yesterday, everyone has that same attitude. That's been the sentiment I'm hearing from friends, from people around the league, from the media. And, and there's a lot of work still to be done. But, uh, you know, this was a, a huge step for the NHL. You, you said there's a lot of work still to be done. There's a lot of work that was done just to get to this point. What for you now becomes the biggest challenge is going forward? So I do think the biggest challenge right now is the where is it and what is it and when is it? I mean, we, we did talk a lot yesterday about the the you know the event itself and how it's going to work but we still even though we listed the hub cities that are remaining we still have to make that decision Uh, we're working extremely closely with our medical team they'll drive so much of this decision as much as i would love to go to a certain place and know that i'm going to be there for a few months you know, it really will be driven on where is the safest environment that we could put together. And I'm telling you, putting a bubble around any of the cities that we mentioned yesterday is not going to be a simple task. Uh, and, but, but I will also tell you, if anybody thinks, oh, yeah, they're really going to put a bubble, yeah, really, the players are going to come, they're going to go, they're going to do – no way. I mean – our medical team is, is super conservative and for all the right reasons. Uh, they'll be testing on, a, on either a daily basis or an every other day basis. Um, 
And we're working really closely with them to put together an environment that takes as much of the risk out of the next phase of all this, well, phase four as possible. So that's still to come, you know, where are we gonna go? And then what is this environment and how do we set this up? This is a, this is a challenge and, and I would say possibly the greatest challenge of all of our careers. Um, you know, that, that's, gonna be, that's gonna be incredibly important to us. There's a lot of responsibility here uh, we're dealing with people's health, uh, their lifestyle, and and we want to make sure you know that it's that it's the safest place it can be. I was going to ask you about the challenge, Steve, but you just answered it. Now, I, so much of what you and your department does is, is involves fan engagement, right? I mean, it involves bringing fans closer to the players, the players closer to the fans. Fans can't be in the building. So how do you engage with fans when and if and when we start up without them being in the building and with the players kind of wrapped in this bubble? What are some of the challenges there and some of the, you know, the discussions, I guess, that you guys have been having already, which I assume you have been about that? Yeah. So, Dan, I I think that we, um, uh, you know, we're excited about that challenge and that part of it. And that's the next um, part of what we still have to do. Um, but, you know, I, I think there are ways uh, and creative ways to, to get the fans, one, socially involved and experiencing what, you know, they would normally experience inside the arena, but experience it outside the arena. And there are ways, I think, that we're going to be able to incorporate some of their social experiences into our broadcast, into our environment, um, in a really cool and, and meaningful way. Um, you know, you're right. Like, you know, this is this is quite interesting. I'm used to like, how do you make that sort of wow factor as a person walks into our stadium and looks for the first time at our at our field at an outdoor game, or in an arena, just the sounds and the visuals of every one of our games and game presentation and now you just don't have that but yet you will have this impact when people turn on that tv and what do they see and and let's let, let's think about this right now you know you, you've seen german soccer is back nascar's back ufc's back pbr's back we're watching one by one these sports come on we're we're obviously keeping an eye on all that but you know wait when we come back you know, I think the NBA will be back. Major League Baseball will be back. You know, if we wait long enough, could college football be back? Like, one by one, these sports are coming back. We're not competing against anybody. We're not. But you do have to be impactful so that when people are tuning down the dial and there literally are 50 games on at the same time, and, and believe me, the glutton of sports, is, it's all going to happen at once. It's going to be crazy. If you're a network programmer, you got the toughest job in the whole world. Mm. How do you program in one weekend the Kentucky Derby, Wimbledon, college football, NBA, Major League Baseball, college, uh, the NHL? It's crazy what could happen all at the same time. So our job is, you know, you're tuning down the, the remote. Like, how are we going to capture somebody? 
And I do think visually is something that we're looking at almost the, the most of anything. Um, an environment that completely will change from game to game, an environment that is vibrant with colors. Um, there's a lot of cool things that we think we can do, but we're not there yet. And we've got, uh, you know, what we think is a little bit of time to plan. Well, Steve, no one's going to accuse you or your department of lacking in creativity when it comes to big events, but we've never seen anything like this. It's a blank canvas. How intimidating is that for you? You know, I think it's a cool challenge. Um, I think you hit it. I think we have a lot of experience in changing an environment that people are used to on a game by game basis and and completely changing it you know you walk into one of our outdoor games you're used to seeing a football field and you don't see a blade of grass you know so i'm kind of taking the approach you're used to seeing people in seats and poof you're not going to see people in seats so what's that environment that we're now covering up essentially and how do you make it look super cool and and I think that probably will give you the sneak peek into what we're thinking right now. But, you know, I appreciate what you said, Sean. I, I do. And I think it's what we're really good at. And I think that that's probably how we're going to lean a little bit and and sort of take out the that, that – fact of that there's nobody in the stands like you know I've, I've watched these games you know you've seen the cardboard cutouts you know you even saw blow-up dolls I mean <laughs> are you kidding me um <laughs> you know I, I and believe me I have literally taken so many pitches from companies that have like the next great idea and I'm not downplaying anything that anybody is now banking their futures on but oh my god Goodness, I, and I'm not going to get into specifics because I don't want to embarrass the companies. But there, yeah, everybody's got an idea right now, and and most of the ideas are like putting fans in the stands, and and okay, good for you. Like I, I just don't know if that's the way to go in, in this new world, and uh, you know, it, it's a work in progress for sure, but. Given what we've done in the past would probably give you a slight glimpse into what we might do in the future. You know, one of the things back to the fan engagement, the players through this pause, quarantine, I think, and I would imagine you probably feel the same way, we've seen more personalities come out. You got Alex Kalorn and Doc Talk, and even, I mean, which is fantastic. We had him on the podcast. Uh, and even the players that he's interviewing, you've, obviously we know about P.K. Subban, Connor Carrick and his podcast, and, you know, some of the Zoom calls and the personalities we're seeing. Ryan Getzleff taking us all out to his chicken coop, which was fantastic. How involved or how key is that going to be to this, to have the players who are playing the games and, and are involved in the playoffs uh, which usually means that they're so tight-lipped and so, but have them be more socially interactive and the sky being the limit for that aspect with the players. So we started this off by saying that we're hopeful and we're optimistic about return of play. We are hopeful and optimistic that what we've started can continue. Uh, yeah. You know, it's been great, Dan. Like, you know, I always joke, you know, we would take weeks to try to get a player to do something. 
and now we'll say, hey, Thursday, 3 o'clock, uh, here's the Zoom link. Great. Well, great. <laughs> what? Like, like, that is as immediate as it's been. And then once you got them, yeah, the next, the Hughes brothers are taking the, the, the laptop down and playing a ping pong match as they're doing the interview. Like, these are things that just don't necessarily happen. I have to admit, listen, we're going to do everything we can to continue this in the new world. Um, once we establish the bubble, it's a bubble. So we hope that because people can't go anywhere, hey, come on, let's do some things and, and be a part of our content coverage. I do think there is a, uh, a little trophy that's up for grabs and, and that changes the meaning and the, and the mindset just a bit in the player's mind. And we clearly, all of us, we get that. We understand that. And so, I mean, we're going to ask, we're going to hope, we, we, we think that this is only going to lead to good. Whether it's during this period of time or for the future, I think players just feel like they, they can go out and they can do things. They're not going to get backlash. In fact, they're going to gain in popularity. And it's cool because their teammates are also doing it. So uh, we're, we're hoping to continue, hoping, and we are optimistic that the players will continue at the pace that they've been on. Uh, but it's been special, and I think we've all recognized that it's made all of our jobs easier, hasn't it? For sure. For, for you, has there been a breakout star of the pause? Well, you know, you mentioned Connor uh, Carrick. Uh, I, I didn't know much about him at all. Uh, he had done a couple of things with us, and actually, um, you know, we, we really thought – he did, he did a great job. Um, but like here, he's just, he is so comfortable and his wife has been amazing too. And, you know, they, you know, they're challenging you guys that their podcast is fantastic. <laughs> there is somebody that I think we didn't know a lot, all the TikTok, you know, the Gallagher TikToks, the Kalorn thing, as you mentioned, you know, has been fantastic. Um, you know, we've had a lot of – we've had so many players on. Ovechkin, Ovechkin, the willingness. Now, Alex is having the baby and, you know, the whole – but beforehand, like, so willing. I think there's lots of breakouts. And I'll tell you, you know, he already was um, exposed at PK, uh, but we work with him on a weekly basis doing our trivia show. He's, he's a real talent. Uh, he is as good as they come. And I'm talking just take him out of the hockey world. Like for him to do a show like that, the way he does it, you have to see how we put it all together. He, 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 is, he is something else. Um, he's, he's, a super, he's a real superstar when it comes to being on camera. And, you know, you know, and, you know, he's gotten some backlash for, for being as exposed, but he's so good for our game. And he's so good for the NHL. There are unique opportunities. You kind of touched on it before with television and, and with displaying the game. I mean, you could have drones in the building. You could have handhelds in seats. You, I don't mean in terms of holding up, you know, puppets that, you know, are going to act as fans. I mean, you know, just all kinds of different opportunities here. That's a blank canvas too, right? 
Yeah, so the TV coverage, and we've been really engaged with our partners, both in Canada and the U.S., NBC, Sports Network, Sportsnet. Um, you're going you're gonna to see, um, no question, cameras in places that we can never put them before. Just remember, like, you know, one of the, you know, the, the excuses, and, 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 and believe me, uh, that's probably the wrong word, but you, we don't want to block our fans. You know, we, we, we would love to put cameras closer to the ice, but we've never been able to do that. Um, there's certain things that we have to respect, and, and our fans are number one. But now, hey, there's nobody to block. Um, and so all of the things that we've always wanted to do, yeah, we're, we're going we're gonna to give them a try. Again, I think audio is a huge piece of, of how we're going to approach – uh, the next world, um, you know, you want to hear the sounds of, uh, of the NHL. You want to hear the players. You want to mic them up where we can. Um, and I do think we have a huge advantage over other sports when it comes to constant noise, especially in play. Um, and I think camera-wise, just everything just coming down lower, uh, showing the speed of the game. I, I do think you'll see some experimental cameras, things that we haven't done before that we'll certainly give a try. Yeah, I mean, there, this is a cool new world that we're about to enter. And I, and I hope that, you know, we're, we're visually and, and also from an audio standpoint, engaging the fans in a way they've never been engaged before. Well, Steve, I'm really looking forward to what you do with this blank canvas. I think it's going to be awesome. You talked about the hope, and I know I woke up today much more hopeful than I have been at any time during the pause thinking about what's going to come next. We know you're really busy. We appreciate you giving a little bit of giving us a little bit of time. And like I said, we look forward to what you and your department uh, come up with when we uh, finally get back to play. No, I appreciate that. And, and again, and I've said it, you know, none of this is going to happen until – um, we get the safe sign. We'll, we'll, we'll put it all together. You know, we're, we got a lot of work to do, uh, but the, the when is still a huge question mark. Uh, and, you know, I, we, we're all seeing the world opening up on a day-by-day -day basis, but we, we have to make sure this is really safe, you know, for our players, for our staffs, you know, everybody that's going to be in that environment, we want to make sure that they – you know, stay healthy and we take the, the risk out of this. And that's going to take some time. It is. But uh, yeah, thanks guys for having me. Thanks so much to Steve for jumping on with us. Good stuff to hear. I love hearing his level of excitement and uh, what he believes is some of the potential that exists here. But Sean, we got matchups, man. Let's talk a little hockey, huh? How, how about we get into it a little bit here? Because why not? That's what we're here for, right? Yeah, man, for sure. I mean, like like I said earlier in the show, to me, some of these matchups are so intriguing. Um, you know, you look in the East, and, and I, I think a lot of people are fixating on the, that Penguins-Montreal matchup, right? Montreal's the last one to get into the playoffs with the points percentage cutoff. And, uh, you know, but a lot of people think they're dangerous because of Carey Price. And, and I, I know, you know, Jimmy Rutherford, the, the Penguins GM, had a conference call this morning right before we taped this, you know, and they talked about it a little bit. And he was like, look, the parity in the league, this is what's going to happen. We we know that any team can be dangerous. And, and you know, we know that if Carey Price is at his best and 
that hasn't always been the case. And this is me saying it, not him saying it. Right. It's not always been the case that he has been at his best um, in the past couple of years. But when he is at his best, you know, he's the kind of guy that can that can steal a series. So, uh, you know, I think the Penguins are going to be on their guard. And, you know, they have goaltending questions of their own going into that matchup. Is it is it Matt Murray who's won two cups? Or is it Tristan Jarry, who was the number one when the season ended, was playing better and, and had kind of assumed those duties? So those are the kind of things that I think are going to keep us really busy for however long the run-up is um, before we can actually play the games. Yeah, no question. It's an intriguing matchup. You talk about goaltending, though. Let's look at the Rangers in Carolina, right? I mean, the Rangers have an option. There's five goalies that, that could play in that series. Um, the Rangers have the option here as Henrik Lundqvist, who has absolutely owned uh, the Carolina Hurricanes in his career, is he going to play uh, because of that? Or is Igor Shosturkin, who's the new fresh guy coming in, is he going to get the nod? He played the last time they played. The Rangers have owned the Hurricanes. They won four games against them this season, all four. Uh, they're 31-6-0 and against Carolina since 2011, February of 2011. So uh, I can understand where Carolina might be a little leery uh, for that matchup. But certainly, you know, the one you talked about, Pittsburgh-Montreal, very intriguing, but I mean, look, the Penguins would have probably ended up playing Washington or Philadelphia if this thing stuck true. So I still would prefer to play Montreal instead of, uh, you know, in the first round and, or qualifying round instead of playing the the Flyers or the Capitals. What about out West? What are you looking, what intrigues you out West? Well, I think that the Arizona-Nashville series is, is going to be a really good one. Like uh, you, would, you would think, you know, Maybe Nashville's a little bit stronger, uh, perhaps better goaltending. Yossi's a, a, a finalist for the Norris Trophy, in my opinion, probably should win it uh, a little bit deeper. But it seemed to me that that Arizona team before the break was starting to come on, um, you know, and, and could certainly give them a run for their money and, and would make for a really interesting series. And, and who knows, to me, the, the question mark there and, and – what would determine it is who is Taylor Hall going to be in that series? Yeah, absolutely. And, and he's got so much to play for too, right? I mean, there's there's a new contract on the line. He's an unrestricted free agent. He hasn't really won anything yet at all in his career. And for those two teams, I think they've had disappointing, you could say, regular seasons based on expectations, maybe less so for the Coyotes, more so for the Predators, who are starting to come on, like you said. Uh, so that's an interesting series. So is Vancouver and Minnesota. We'll get to Nick next, but I wanted to hit the Vancouver-Minnesota series because there's some interesting stuff going on there. You've got Jacob Markstrom, who will be back for the Canucks, and he's obviously a, a huge difference maker for them. Kevin Fiala was really lighting it up for the Wild before – the pause in the season, he had 26 points in 18 games uh, before, you know, everything got shut down. So that series, as much as the Nashville-Arizona series intrigues me, that series, Vancouver and Minnesota, intrigues me as well for, for a couple of reasons that I just laid out too. Either you have a cheat sheet or mine like an elephant. You know, that, that, Kevin Fiala, that Kevin Fiala had 26 <laughs> points in his last 18 games. That's what I'm talking about about getting back into hockey shape. There's no way I could have done that. So I'm hoping you have a cheat sheet. I have a little bit of a cheat sheet, but I wrote the story on the matchup. So hopefully I'll, hopefully I'll be able to remember what I wrote too. So, you know, and, and let, let's get to our next guest because he wrote a great column on the – the, the safety and integrity being the two key marks for the National Hockey League in, in this return-to-play plan. Uh, Nick Kotsanika, he's jumping on with us right now. Nick, what's going on? How are you, man? Doing well, guys. How are you? 
We are good. So safety and integrity were the first two words of your column that you wrote yesterday after all the availabilities and the announcement. Um, clearly those two words kind of, to me, were your takeaways from everything. What more, what can you add on to that? What, why safety and integrity? What was so important for you to lead your column with that? Well, two things. I think safety is obviously the number one concern. And if you, you go throughout everything the commissioner said, uh, both in his announcement and in subsequent interviews, safety was all part of that. Like they're going to do many things to ensure uh, that this is, you know, that this is responsible. I mean, I think the number one quote is we're not going to do anything uh, until, you know, medical professionals and the relevant government authorities say it's safe and prudent. Um, that's a pretty strong statement. So it's not like the NHL here is going to rebel and just try to play um, regardless of the circumstances. I think the fact that um, things are going to move so slowly and methodically, um, you know, as eager as everybody is to play uh, and get back on the ice, um, you know, they still haven't set dates uh, for small group workouts. Um, you know, so every step of the way here, uh, they're trying to be safe. And when I talk about integrity, I'm talking about the integrity of the competition. You know, I've heard a lot of talk about asterisks. You know, this is certainly a unique circumstance, but, you know, I truly believe, you know, whether I worked for the NHL or not, uh, this might be the toughest format ever to win a Stanley Cup. When you look at everything that teams are going to have to go through uh, to win the Cup, um, you're talking about right now, everybody's been in self-quarantine for more than two months. You're going to have to come out of that and do voluntary workouts. You're going to have to have a training camp of about three weeks. Then you're going to have to go through a 2014 format um, you know, to win the Stanley Cup. You're going to have to live in a bubble, get tested every day, um, play in arenas without fans the whole time unless something dramatically changes you know, in, in the interim um, to, host, to, to hoist the Stanley Cup. I mean, that's crazy. That's really, really difficult. And you know, we always say who wants it more. Usually that's a cliche. I don't think it's a cliche this time. You're going to have to want it. No, and I, I, to me, you know, I think you hit it towards the end. The hardest thing for this tournament to me is going to be how unusual it is in that it's going to be played for the most part in empty arenas. They, they left open the possibility that maybe really late if things went really well, there could be some fans in the arena. But there's going to be no home assist advantage. I mean, how many times have you heard a player say, and, and some people say that it, it's not really true, but having covered so many of them, like being at home and, and having that force behind you of a full building roaring you on, you know, gives you, especially late in the tournament, the energy to do what you didn't think you could do. Um, and even being on the road, the, the hostility wakes you up and, and makes you push harder than you might push because you want to stick it in 18,000 people's faces. And now you're just doing it for the 23 guys you're playing with. Not that that's, impossible but it's a much harder equation well i'm with you i think home road it's the energy of the crowd and like the fact that they're going to play with no fans you know conceivably for the entire time um it's it's brutal like let's face it it's it's not what the nhl wants um it's very difficult for energy um you know our sport is wonderful life it's it, i think it's how we all fell in love with it right um you know, it's great on TV, but, but the in arena is part of the TV experience too. 
Um, it's just what brings the game to life. So I think it's going to be difficult, you know, to play in, in an empty arena and have the energy and intensity of a Stanley Cup, you know, playoff. Uh, it's going to be tough. And, you know, under normal circumstances, we always take pride in that the Stanley Cup's the hardest trophy to win. You know, to survive, um, you know, four rounds of best of seven, you know, in a normal time is so difficult. I think this is the harder gauntlet because of everything else you have to go through. And then let's not forget too, if you're going to live in a bubble, uh, however long they have to be away from their families, uh, getting tested every day. My understanding is testing is not exactly a comfortable and enjoyable experience. <laughs> um, these are all really hard things. Um, so if you're, if you're going to win the Stanley cup, if you're the team that's going to emerge from all of that, uh, I tip my cap to you because I think you're going to have earned it and, and then some. You know, a couple of things that I found uh, very interesting and I, I was questioning and I, a lot of people were questioning. The questions were somewhat answered yesterday, certainly with Bill Daly regarding the testing was what about one positive test? You know, what happens if you have a positive test? And his response was from the medical community, their, their medical advisors, one positive test uh, a singular outlying positive test shouldn't have any impact on this. It shouldn't shut it down. Obviously, that player would have to be removed from the tournament, but uh, it shouldn't have an impact. But we obviously can't have an outbreak. But I thought just getting, even if there's no real clarity because we don't know what an outbreak would consist of, and th I just thought getting that information from Bill Daly uh, reassured me a little bit because that was one of my concerns. Like, okay, we're doing all this and everything comes back. Will one positive test make the whole thing get shut down again? Because that's how it happened originally in the NBA, right? Well, it's all how you look at it. I mean, I think, yes, one positive test won't shut the whole thing down. He also said, you know, isolated tests won't shut the whole thing down, but we can't afford an outbreak, obviously. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's no clarity on where that line is drawn. And, you know, that's what makes all of this so difficult is there's still tons of uncertainty. Um, the situation is going to evolve between then and when we hope to start. It's going to evolve, you know, if we start, it's going to evolve during the tournament. Um, it's, it, that's what's been so hard about the whole thing is the uncertainty here. So, yes, there is some comfort that one test won't shut everything down, but it's still an evolving thing. And everybody's going to have to uh, deal with that uncertainty and adjust as we go. Um, I think that's why also all these precautions are being taken, right? Why, you know, it's, it's going to be voluntary small group workouts. Why, um, you know, training camp will be, you know, handled in a certain way. Why the players are going to have to live in a bubble because you have to prevent, uh, you know, you have to be prevent, proactive and preventative to prevent, you know, an outbreak. Look, and, and there's a blueprint out there to a degree. I mean, the German soccer league, the Bundesliga has come back. They've had some positives and they've, they've continued to play. They've removed those players. Premier League's trying to come back now. They've had some positives as, as they've reported back to camp and they've, they've pushed their dates back a little bit. But if, you, if you're looking at how safe it's going to be and, and how proactive the league's been, just look at the return to play protocol document that came out for the small groups. It's 25 pages long, and it's so in-depth that if you read deep into it, you know, every player is going to have his own water bottle. You know, uh, nobody's going to be allowed in the arenas as, the, as they come back to play, except for the six players. Um, you know, 
it's 25 pages of nitty gritty. Here is how you're going to be best protected. And it's up to you to follow these things. And, and this is the path to get to the next stage. It's not, it's not a fly by night uh, presentation. No, I actually think it's 29 pages. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, we, and as Don Fear pointed out, we have not gotten to phase three, let alone phase four. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a labor intensive thing. Um, it's going to be a daily, um, a daily operation here to try to keep everybody reasonably safe. Even, even in doing that, that does not remove all the risk. Um, and so you've got to make the best of the situation. You have to take all the, the precautions you can, but at the end of the day, a lot still remains out of the NHL's control. You know, as Gary Bettman said multiple times, um, you know, we're not doing anything until the medical professionals and the governmental authorities say it's safe and prudent, right? So you can prepare and plan and you have to prepare and plan all you can to be ready. Um, but in the end, um, some things out of the NHL's control are going to determine what's able to be done. Let's talk a little bit about the hub cities because they laid out 10 that are they're looking at Edmonton, Vancouver, and Toronto in Canada. But there's a there's another factor with the Canadian that goes with with doing a Canadian city being that uh, there's a quarantine edict in place. If you travel into Canada at the current time under the government regulations, you have to quarantine for 14 days. And Bill Daly basically said, "Well, if we start playing, that's existing. We can't go to a Canadian city because that's pretty much out the window." Then you also have Pittsburgh, Columbus. Dallas, Vegas, LA, Minnesota, and Chicago. Uh, the one that stuck out to me, Vegas seems obvious, right? But the one that stuck out to me was LA because of LA Live and, and the area around Staples Center. I hadn't thought of Los Angeles because I always think of the Kings being out, so why would their market be in? But that doesn't matter. So what do you think about that? Like just, I, I, it, I just it just stuck out to me for some reason because of, the the nature of what LA Live is like, and if you want to bubble players, well, the, all the hotels are right there. Well, again, speaking for myself and not the league, yeah. uh, I like it a lot because the Kings and the Ducks aren't involved. Yeah, it was another thing that Daly said where they've talked about, um, you know, the perceived competitive advantage of playing in your own rink, right? So if the Vegas Golden Knights are playing at T-Mobile, um, you know, you could say, oh, they have an advantage because they're at home, even though even though there's no fans, right? So if you played in L.A., it's a neutral site, right? So whichever teams are there, like there's no perceived advantage, right? So I like that idea. You know, and look, the weather's good. Um, you know, it might be a pleasant place for the, you know, the players to be. Um, yeah, there are advantages of it. So you've got a hotel right there. You've got Staples. Um, the practice rink is, you know, far away. You could bus to and from El Segundo. So, you know, I, I can see pros and cons for all these cities. Uh, but that, that's one of the pros for L.A. that I see. And the one thing that I, I thought, and it was great that Bill made the point, I think it was Bill that made the point in the call yesterday, was, look, if they play in Vegas, don't think that the Vegas players are going home and spending time with their family while everybody else lives locked in. Everybody that's involved in this tournament is locked in a, a very strict bubble that will not be broken. So that part of home ice advantage, there's no home-cooked meals. No. I also <laughs> don't think the uh, – the other players are going to go to the casino or, <laughs> or, or, or be living the Vegas lifestyle, right? Like, 
like it's it's not what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. It's like it, when in Vegas, you're going to stay in your room. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I don't know how restrictive it's going to be or, or what exactly the protocols are going to be. But if anybody thinks it's going to be, you know, life is normal, it's not. Um, you know, in order for this to work, they have to have some sort of bubble, right? That sort of keeps everybody um, contained. Uh, so there's minimal interaction with the outside world and you're reducing the risk of, of an infection. Yeah, and, and I think, Nick, they said it's three to four weeks away from naming the hub cities, so we still have time for that. But overall here, I mean, we got some excitement now, right? I mean, we have optimism. We have a return to play plan. We all want to know what's next. What's in your head? What, is, what do you envision? How do you imagine this playing out? Chaos. Yeah, but is <laughs> chaos I mean, fun? That's fun. And I mean wonderful chaos. I yeah. think in, in the best of times, you know, the Stanley Cup playoffs are ridiculously unpredictable. I mean, look at last year, right? We had normalcy, and we had the Tampa Bay Lightning, one of the greatest regular season teams of all time, get swept in the first round, right? Like, it, mm-hmm. like who saw that coming? So now you tell me what's going to happen. Like, come on, right? So you've got all these, like, crazy – factors on top of what we normally have right so who stayed in shape or was able to stay in shape who's who's sharp who comes back uh quickest goalies right i hear all about how goalies can can steal a series well i think goalies more than any other position are a disadvantage because how could you stay sharp uh during this pause right like you can do some drills but there's nothing like being on the ice and facing shots right so who knows how goalies are going to react Maybe Vegas has an advantage because they've got Flurry and, and Laner, but you'd have to have an awfully quick hook, right? Especially if it's a best of five in the first round. So I think it's going to be crazy, crazy unpredictable. Um, and I don't know what's going to happen. And I love that because uh, you want entertainment. That's pretty entertaining. And that's, and that's drama. I mean, that's the root of drama is, is the unpredictability. If, if you knew, that the Boston Bruins were going to win the Stanley Cup because they were the president's trophy winner, why would you watch? And it almost never happens. I, I, I can only count a number of times that it's happened in the past 20 years where the best teams won the tournament, and I think that's even further out the window now. One prediction of what you want to see, what you would like to see as this plays out. Well, I mean, look, uh, what would I like to see? I mean, I would like to see things return to normal and we have fans in the stands by the end. Right. Like, I don't know if I'm going to get what I want. Um, But what I'd like to see, look, man, like it comes to down to the simplest things. I want to see Batman award the cup. I I don't care if it's an empty building. I don't care if it's full building, though. That's what I'd prefer. I want to see him. I want to see him hand out the cup because if that, if he hands out the cup, that means that this plan went in, went into effect. That means we were able to get through it with minimal infections that means life is coming back to normal. And that means whoever, whoever he hands that cup to will have earned it to go back to what I started with, right? Like, yes, it's going to be chaos. That doesn't mean it's not going to be well-earned. It's going to be well-earned. Good stuff there from Nick. Uh, so, Sean, Nick wants to see Gary Bettman award the Stanley Cup. We all want to see Gary Bettman award the Stanley Cup. That, that's, no, that's a no-brainer. We, ab- we absolutely do. What's one thing other than seeing Gary Bettman award the stand? What, what do you want to see? What's your prediction or what do you want to see uh, as we hopefully get into this tournament? Well, there's two things I want to see. And one's somewhat related to Nick and one's not. And one's highly probable and the other one's not. The first one is I want to see chaos. I want to see a ton of goals. 
And I think we might see that, right? Like, I think we might see old-time Stanley Cup playoffs, Edmonton Oilers style, at least early on as everybody gets back. We had Brian Boucher on last week, and he right. talked about the shooters being ahead of the goalies. Um, you know, and if that happens, you could see some seven, six games. I think that would be awesome. The other thing, and it was very much along the lines of Gary handing out the cup, is – and I don't know if this happens. Maybe it does because everybody's been tested. But my favorite thing about playoff hockey at the end of every round – handshakes mm. the handshake line and if they can't handshake because maybe that's done in society they find a new way to do it elbow tap i don't know but that that coming together at the end of a, a series battle and saying you know i respect you for what you did and i'm moving on and you're not or whatever it is to me that is the most beautiful thing in our sport and to have some remnant of it left after every one of these series would be fantastic yeah glove taps as they go down the line, glove taps. No, keep the gloves on and glove taps. You could do that. I'll tell you what, I, I, I really, and, and this is more of a, you know, in-game experience, but we, we sometimes get players mic'd and, and what we hear is, yeah, boys, here we go. Good, good job, boys. You know, uh, keep, keep them going, boys. I want more. I want a more liberal take on what these guys are saying. And I understand it's, it's you know, you can't have cursing and that's that stuff uh, on television, but I want to hear more. I want to hear more of a coach strategizing with his players and, you know, giving some of that, you know, to the viewer. I, I want that television viewing experience to be enhanced. We touched on that with Steve Mayer because that's how we're all going to be watching these things. There will be no fans. There'll be no media. We won't be there as far as we know right now. So let's get that entertainment value of the game even higher than what it is. The game itself is terrific. It's so entertaining. But let's bring even more of that. That's, that's what I would like to see. And I just want to stay up really late at night watching overtime games. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'll be doing that anyway. Whether they would sound on or off, I'll be doing that anyway. Uh, there's a couple other things, though, before we jump out of here. Some news. Jason Botterill with the Buffalo Sabres, their general manager. He'll be back. They didn't make the playoffs again, but he will be returning to try to keep the get the Sabres again moving in the right direction. Uh, Nick Bukestad from the Pittsburgh Penguins, their forward, Jim Rutherford, their GM, recently announced that he's done. He re-injured himself, and he's out for the season. So a little bit of news there. More news will be coming as players start filtering back in to their training facilities once Phase 2 can open up uh, clear later this month, early next month. Um, so we'll have more news to come, and we'll keep doing these podcasts as well. Well, I think we're going to have more news by the time we do the next podcast. Almost every team is holding some sort of – uh, availability either today, tomorrow, Friday. The teams that didn't make the playoffs are kind of doing their virtual baggy days where players are going to be made available and decisions are going to be made. You know, you're talking about Fitzgerald, Tom Fitzgerald and Elaine Nazardine in, in New Jersey. Bob Bugner is the coach in San Jose. All these decisions need to be made over the next couple of weeks now that there's been some clarity for teams to know what they face either in the short term or the long term. They can start going about making their business decisions again. And, and, you know, hockey news, instead of historical lookbacks and everything else, are going to be at the forefront. And, and I think, you know, as much as we've enjoyed all the history stuff we've done, and there's going to be more great history stuff on our site in the next couple of weeks, we're back in the meat and potatoes business of talking about the news and analyzing the news and, and celebrating the news. So uh, these should get even meatier as we go forward towards uh, through the return to play protocol. Yeah, and one thing we didn't even touch on today is the draft lottery, which we could do a whole show on, trying to explain the whole thing. The first phase will be June 26th, but 
Uh, lots to talk about, lots of optimism around the hockey world, which is great stuff. Sean, uh, glad we got a chance to do this a day after the announcement was made. Everybody, thanks for listening. Rate and review us, and we'll be back again next week.